Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 39 through 56 as we continue our Advent series. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And if any of you know me, you know that I actually do enjoy the Christmas season. I like Christmas. I like Advent. Even if a year is particularly dark or painful, um, I still derive a lot of hope and, and, and pleasure, a joy from the holidays. And I like every aspect of it, really. I mean, all the good aspects of it, both religious, sacred, and some of the secular aspects of it that our culture has created. It's good. And one of the things that I like the most are good Christmas songs. And by good Christmas songs, I mean the Christmas carols and hymns. And I like the, the pop Christmas music. I even have an, an album of death metal Christmas music that I like. I like all kinds of Christmas music, all kinds. Uh, but honestly, one of the things that can derail my mood, that can really afflict my conscience and make me angry are bad Christmas songs. Bad Christmas songs do me in. I don't like them. I get upset when I hear them. Uh, like uh, Last Christmas by Wham. I can't do it. I get angry when I hear it. And now it's become such a part of the Christmas experience. It's, like it's not Christmas unless I'm angry because I had to listen to Last Christmas again. Or uh, honestly, even worse is that uh, Paul McCartney, Wonderful Christmas Time. I just seriously, if you, do, you like, do you like the Wonderful Christmas? Who likes the Paul McCartney? Somebody likes it. Okay, just making sure. Good. All right, making sure. You know. And then there's honestly like one of the, one of the worst offenders is... Um, Mary, did you know? And it's, uh, and again, some of you, I know you like that. Like it's, it's, you think it's a wonderful song, but you're wrong. It's not. It's a terrible song. Don't like it. Don't like how it sounds. I don't like the message uh, because, because Mary did know. And I, I'm not a hater. Like I think every year, a bunch of internet people get on the social media and they start things like, hey, everybody, Mary knew. So, like, okay, yeah. Mary, we all know Mary knew. Okay. It's, it's, it's not a great song. We can all move past it. Uh, we know that Mary knew because actually Mary wrote her own song. She wrote her own song. That's what we're going to look at today. She wrote her own song in response to the, the mercy and the grace and the blessing that she was experiencing that would lead to grace, mercy, and blessing for the whole world. Today we're going to look at that psalm that Mary wrote in Luke chapter 1. And it highlights a particular truth that is really important for us, not just at this time of year, but every day of our lives, a truth which as basic and fundamental as it is to our faith tends to get lost over time. And the principle is this, the son of God blesses the unworthy. The son of God blesses the unworthy, not the worthy, not the strong, not the mighty, not the smart, not the beautiful, not the good. The son of God blesses the unworthy. Now, to understand the song that, that Mary herself wrote, we need a little bit of context. So uh, it's not hard because most of us here know the Christmas story, right? So Mary, young girl, uh, relatively poor compared to many of her contemporaries, uh, um, betrothed, that is more than engagement, right? She was covenantally committing herself to another. They had not yet uh, come together. They were not married. And so she was still a virgin. And yet, an angel visits her, the angel Gabriel, and says, you are carrying a child, though you are a virgin. And this child that has been conceived in your womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, the one who will reign on the throne, the, the one who will save his people. 
And Mary receives this news. I mean, she has to process it, but she receives this news. She believes it and she rejoices in it. Now, like a lot of people do uh, when they're pregnant, like, like, hey, let's go, let's go spend some time with relatives. And so Mary actually is, is going to make her way to visit a relative of hers, Elizabeth. She's gonna go see Elizabeth. And it's not just because, you know, she's pregnant, she's gonna spend some time there, that makes sense. But it's also because she is literally carrying the son of God. She's going to give birth to the savior. So this is a very big deal. And she goes to somebody that she's very close to and that is Elizabeth. Look at verses 39 and 40 here. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth, married couple. Now here's what you need to know about Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a, was a dear friend and a relative. We're not exactly sure, like cousin or exactly what, but a relative. And Elizabeth was unable to conceive herself. She and her, and her uh, husband were, were getting older and she had not had a child and she really wanted a child and she had been praying for a child uh, and no child was going to come. At least that's, that's how it appeared. But eventually she and her husband are, are, are visited by an angel and the angel announces to Elizabeth, not Mary, to Elizabeth, you are going to experience a miracle. You are going to conceive a child. You and your husband are going to conceive a child. Yes, it, it's, it's past that time when it should be able and you haven't had a child so far, but you are going to. And this child is going to be a prophet, a forerunner for the Messiah. This one, John, is going to pave the way for the arrival of the Son of God. Cliff notes here. But that's what happens. And so she conceives and she has a son, John. We know him as John the Baptist, who began his preaching ministry, calling people to repent, preparing the way for Christ. And he was the one who had baptized Jesus. And you can read all of this in the same chapter, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 13. Now, Mary shows up and she enters into the house and she greets Elizabeth. And then listen, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is, uh, this is intense, right? This is, this is pretty amazing. Uh, Elizabeth hears the greeting and the first reaction is the baby in her womb. That's little John, right? John the Baptist. He leaps. He starts kicking and, 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 and moving. He's, he's responding to the presence of Mary and this child. He's responding to his own mother who at that very moment is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's greeted by Mary. She knows what's happening. And she is filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, she has an intensifying effect on her faith. Right? She is believing more. She is rejoicing more. She experiences a Holy Spirit kind of power, right? She is filled in that moment and she begins to respond. And she says, Mary, you are blessed. You are blessed of God. You... God's favor is upon you. His grace is upon you. You are going to deliver the one who will deliver us all. 
And not only does she say, Mary, you are blessed. She says, oh, blessed is the fruit of your womb. This child is blessed, the most blessed, the blessed one. He is the one that is here to save. And she, she continues, she's like, I'm blessed. I mean, who am I? Like, why do I get to experience this greatness and, and to be in the midst of this whole thing? It's just too much. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? She can't help but see herself in the middle of this in a small role, right? It's her own small role. She knows it's more than she deserves. She's blessed. And she looks at Mary and she's encouraged by Mary's faith. This is important because like I'm one to point out quite a bit. Ain't nothing special about Mary. Mary is a sinner. Doesn't mean she's not godly. She was godly. You can see that here. Doesn't mean that she didn't have faith, that she wasn't exemplary sometimes, and she certainly is here. But the same with Paul. Ain't nothing special about Paul. He's a sinner like you, like me. Yet, he was godly and a good example for us in a number of ways. These people aren't blessed because they're special. They're blessed because God is kind, because God is gracious. And yet, in all of this, she sees Mary's faith Look at what she says here in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, both Elizabeth and Mary are good examples of faith here because they were prepared for this. Now, it, 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 we don't know how long this preparation ultimately was, but uh, and it looks like it, it wasn't very long in coming, but they had been prepared in that they were able to see God's work because they had believed God's promise, right? God had already spoken to them. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this. So get ready, prepare yourself. And they responded in faith so they were able to see and rejoice in God's work. They didn't miss it. They could see God's work based on God's promise. This sets us up for Mary's song. Mary goes to see her friend, her relative. She gets there. She greets her. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She, she says that, oh, the, the child in me leapt for joy. In some way, this pre-born baby in the womb is responding to all of this in some ways that we don't fully understand. But scripture says that there was a sense in which this child was rejoicing, was happy that the Savior was here. It's beautiful. All of this sets us up for this song. The song is called The Magnificat, and, which is Latin, right? And th this comes from a, an old Latin translation of this psalm, this hymn, this song. Uh, and it comes from a word, you can probably guess it, right? The first line is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat means to magnify. This is Mary's song of magnification, of glorifying the Lord. It's Mary's song of praise. That's what this is. So if you hear it called the Magnificat, that's why it's called that. Now, why I love this, and I, I really love this psalm, and I'm going to keep calling it a psalm because that's basically what it is, is that I love this because this is one of those parts of Scripture that was written by a woman, now, I know that that's, that might seem like, well, so who cares? Well, it, because a lot of us grew up in a tradition that, that rightly said all the books of the Bible were written or compiled by men, which, yes, yeah, is true, which doesn't matter, but it's, it, it is the way that it is. 
But there are portions of scripture that are clearly spoken by, or in this case, written by. Like Mary had somehow put together this psalm, this hymn, this song. So this is coming from her experience and her perspective, and yet it is in perfect unity and harmony, not just with the rest of scripture, but with the rest of the psalms, right? With the psalms that we read in the book of Psalms. In fact, it really is close to another song or psalm written by another woman, Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. Now, this is interesting because Hannah, like Elizabeth, was childless. She couldn't have a child. Um, the word back then was barren, right? Because it was, it's a hard word, right? She, and it, and it's, it's not a flattering word, but the idea was these are, these are, this is a culture that really valued children and, and women really derived a sense of identity from their ability to produce children. So a woman that couldn't, she was considered barren, sometimes considered cursed, though it wasn't the truth. And um, Hannah couldn't conceive. And so she prayed. Right? She prayed, she sought the Lord, and the Lord answered her and gave her a child. And so Samuel was born. And when Samuel was a couple years old, she takes Samuel to the priest, Eli, and says, he is dead. this is the, the Lord's gift. He's given this to me, and now I'm giving Samuel to you, Eli, to raise. So Eli, this priest, raises Samuel, and Samuel becomes a judge in Israel, right, which is like a ruler. And uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a prophet, and he's ultimately useful uh, in Israel's history by being one of the instruments through which the Israel is brought together and, and given a, a king to rule over them. Hannah's child was an answer to prayer that blessed Israel. And you can read that in 1 Samuel 2 and we don't have enough time to get into it today but you'll see similarities. So, in Mary's song, hymn, psalm, she is praising God. It sounds very much like other psalms. It says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Right, so this is, this is, this is helpful, right? This is helpful for us on a, on a number of levels. Uh, one is because uh, Mary is unashamed in this public act of worship. She's not embarrassed at all. And I know that a lot of us, a lot of us, especially in our tribe, and by tribe I mean Baptist, right? Um, it, it, for a lot of us, we're not very comfortable with public displays of religious affection, right? Like you might be down, you can like, you know, you can kiss on your spouse or hold hands or whatever, but public displays of religious affection can be a little, a little more, like I listen, and I've, not everybody's this way, but I've talked to people, I've talked to people here who are like, boy, I really felt like in that moment I wanted to raise my hands and worship. But, oh, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, why not? Well, you know, like, but explain it to me. Like, what, why, if you felt like you wanted to raise your, hey, listen, nothing wrong with raising your hand. Nothing wrong with keeping them down. The Bible does not command us to literally raise our hands in an act of worship as, as like, you know, the concert lighters for the church, right? That's not, it's not, it's not a command. It's great to do. It's not bad to do. It's fine. Whatever. Like, hey, listen, I've raised my hands like three or four times over the past 30 years. It's, it's okay. You can, you can do it. But why is it? It's like, well, it's, it's embarrassing. Like, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like PDRA, public display of religious affections. I don't know. I just don't want, I don't know. I just, I feel uncomfortable. And Mary was like, it's like, it, it's like Mary burst into a song. It's like you're watching a musical. 
but in real life. Like she was not afraid to do this. She, she was so moved, she had to testify. She had to speak. She had to sing. This was, the res- this was her response. I love it. And in her song, and immediately what you see in the very first part of the song is that Mary knows exactly who her God is and she knows who she is. I like that. That's a good theologian. You know who your God is and you know who you are. Because what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That should answer a lot of questions for us that may arise as we're having conversations with other religious groups. Mary knows who the Lord is, the the creator of the world, the Lord of Israel, the one who gave the promises to the prophets. And he is her savior. You get the implication, right? Mary needs a savior which means that Mary is like us, a sinner in need of redemption. And it didn't take long for the church to mess this up, man. Just a couple of centuries in, and we start coming up with things like, well, you know, maybe Mary was, uh, I don't know, conceived without sin. I'm not trying to hate on other religious traditions, but the Bible simply doesn't teach that because that's not possible. There was one person who was ever born without sin, and that's Jesus. So Mary knows who the Lord is, and she knows who she is. That's why she is singing this song. Because she gets it. She's not confused. God is my savior. I need his salvation. In fact, this is something that we see in the Psalms over and over again. I'm just gonna give you two references because they're easy to remember. They're right next to each other. Psalm 24, five and Psalm 25, five. In Psalm 24, five, it says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Or Psalm 25, five, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Mary, like the psalmists, like David, understood that their only hope of ever being delivered, redeemed or saved is if God in his sovereign mercy extends it to her. She knew who her God was and she knew who she was. And so Mary's praising God, and in all of this, Mary accepts the blessing of God. Mary accepts it. She recognizes it for what it is, and she doesn't push back. Now, this is interesting because people oftentimes are not naturally inclined to take what we usually call charity. I don't want your charity means I don't want your help means I don't want to admit that I need assistance or I'm too proud to admit that I have needs that I maybe can't meet on my own. Mary recognizes this immediately because she knows who she is. She accepts God's blessing. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. So first of all, she knows that she lives in this humble estate. Now, what does that mean? It means at least two things. One, it means that she is like us. She lives in the humble estate of fallen humanity. She's like you and me, a sinner in need of redemption, in need of cleansing. She might be a good and godly woman. She might be a good example in certain ways, like hopefully everyone can be. But she knows what she needs. She lives in this humble estate fallen humanity but also on top of that she was poor and so she was in another humble estate even just culturally socially 
complicated by the fact that she is now carrying a child before she's actually married. She says, God, I, I know my station and you obviously know it. So, wow, in this context, in, in, in this life, you looked on the humble estate of, your, of his servant and yet people are going to recognize me as one who was blessed. This is, this is what, maybe you could call the irony of blessing, right? Because blessing in the Bible never goes to the worthy. Right? To be blessed is to receive God's undeserved kindness or favor. It's pretty spectacular, really, but can be hard to swallow because we like to earn our keep. We like to pay our way. You know, we don't, we, we, we don't like this idea of, of people giving us things that we don't deserve, right? Unless we have some sort of mutual relationship. It, it can be awkward and, and Mary gets it. She's like, I'm not deserving of this. I, don't, I haven't earned this. Mary's not special in and of herself. And yet she knows I am blessed. I mean, she sees God's kindness going on here as being directly applied to her. And she's not wrong. Generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So what's God doing? He is bringing into the earth, into the world, his son by his own divine miracle to do what? To save people from their sins. And yet Mary first recognizes that, wow, this is grace for me. I don't deserve this. And God is doing this for me. And this is actually how many of us, maybe most of us, if not all of us, really come to understand God's grace. Most of us, I think, first really get it for what it is when we see how it's applied to us. When we recognize, like, well, no, God, God could judge me. He could condemn me. And yet he instead extends love and kindness and mercy to me. He forgives me. He receives me through Christ. It's like we, we understand grace as it's first applied to us. And then with Mary, we understand that, wow, God's blessing is not just for me. It is actually for all who are willing to accept it. And Mary makes this same sort of uh, uh, development in her song. We see it in, verses, uh, in verse 50 in particular. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Blessing was for Mary, but not for Mary alone. She knew that. She wasn't confused about that. She's overwhelmed with that she's receiving this, but she knows that it's for all, for all who will believe, for all who will repent, for all who will fear the Lord. It is not for the proud, the haughty, the arrogant who deny God and his place and seek to establish their own kingdom, at least in their own heart and mind. It's not for them. It's for everybody, but it's for everybody who's willing to believe, willing to accept it. Mary gets it. Mary gets that God's grace comes for all kinds of people from generation to generation. It's not dependent or limited to, it's not dependent on or limited to your age or your race or your background or your tribe or, or tongue, not to your achievements. Your, none of those things factor in to God's offer of blessing. His kindness is extended to all who are willing to receive it. And it's been this way from the beginning. I mean, it's, it's, this has been promised from the very beginning. I mean, think about it like this. What did God tell Abraham? If you read Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, God tells Abraham, listen, um, I'm, I'm establishing a covenant with you. And through you, what am I gonna do? I'm going to create a great nation. It's gonna be awesome. And through this nation is going to come the deliverer. And through you and through this nation and through the deliverer comes grace 
for the whole world, for all the nations. It's always been this way. God promises blessing for all who are willing to receive it. Mary got it. Mary knows. She really does know. I mean, it's, it's the most popular verse, right? The most well-known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, fears the Lord, will not perish but will have everlasting life. Mary knows. She gets it. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And she's singing about it. And Mary also knows, she understands that that with the coming of the Son of God is deliverance and damnation. Undeserved deliverance and salvation for those who will receive it and justified damnation or condemnation for those who reject it. I mean, you go to the 51 It says he has shown strength with his arm. This is also something that's repeated a lot in the Psalms. He had shown strength with his arm, the mighty arm of the Lord. This is a metaphor, an anthropomorphism of of God to say that he has a strong arm, right? It's a way of talking about his power, his strength. And the point here is that the power of God is not primarily demonstrated in his judgment, though it is. It's primarily demonstrated in judgment and deliverance. That he is a God who judges, but also a God who saves, who overcomes sin, who forgives transgressions, who cleanses and makes people new. Salvation takes divine power. This is why Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, fears the Lord, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He says, I'm not ashamed. He's like, I'm like, Mary, I'll sing it. I'll sing it. I'll talk about it. I'll preach it. I'll say it out loud. I'm not embarrassed at all. I'll raise my hands. I'll raise my voice. I will make it known because it is the gospel that demonstrates the very power of God. It takes divine power to convert somebody. I can't convert somebody. You can't convert somebody. And if you do, you've made your own sort of follower or disciple. Only God can convert the heart and the mind. It takes divine power to cause somebody to be born again, to bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life, to transfer them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That takes divine power. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter one, verse 19. And here Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus that they, that they would understand a number of things and experience a number of things. And one of them is, that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The point being that it takes divine power not only to raise Jesus from the dead, only divine power could do that. It takes divine power to give you a heart that beats with love for God. It takes divine power to create a Christian a real believer. That's the power of God. And Mary gets it because here is the arm of the Lord, the strength of God being seen not only in the virgin birth, 
but in the salvation that the son brings and the blessing that he brings to the unworthy. Salvation is of God's power. And there is judgment coming. There is judgment coming for the proud. It's offered to all who fear the Lord, but for those who reject it, there is judgment. You see the second half of verse 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he's exalted those of humble estate. The proud, the arrogant, the fool. These are not the bad people. These are not the sinners in comparison to the good people. These are the people who reject God's kindness and mercy and grace. They reject God's revelation. They reject the truth. They go their own way. They make up their own laws. They are a God unto themselves. And judgment comes for them. That's just. I mean, listen, if we want to talk about worthiness and being worthy and earning your keep, well, you earn your keep when it comes to God's judgment. You pay your way when it comes to justice with God. But if you want mercy, well, that's not earned. That's a gift. That's grace. It's offered freely, but it takes the open hands of the humble to receive it. God judges the proud. He lifts up the humble. He exalts the humble, not because they're better than the proud, but because they're ready, but because they understand who they are and who God is, what they deserve, but what they long for. And with the open hands of faith, they receive what God offers. Redemption, salvation, and life. He exalts those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. People who trust in themselves and in their own provisions and their own salvation are left with nothing. But the people who are poor and hungry and tired, the people who are blind and miserable, the people who see their own spiritual poverty are asked, invited to actually come and buy all things without any money. Come freely and receive life by grace. This is, this is what Dave was referring to earlier when he uh, was up here and he, he talked about Jesus becoming poor that we might become rich. Obviously not speaking about worldly riches. But the point being that, that, that Jesus emptied himself, poured out himself. He experienced affliction temptation, abuse, and death in order to suffer for our sins. He became poor in that sense. He condescended and stooped to become, to become one of us. He became poor in his affliction, in his death, that we might become rich, that we might be forgiven and have life. You see, he gave us the riches of his righteousness and he became poor by taking on the debt of our sins. If we go back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9, just for a refresher. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. How much did Mary know? Well, you know what? How much do we know? Not a ton. We act like we know everything. But 
Mary only knew as much as God had revealed, right? And as, as much as she had meditated on and come to understand, she understood a lot. How much do we know? Well, we can know as much as God has revealed that we have the capacity to learn and understand. We don't have all knowledge. We're left with questions. I'm sure, I'm sure Mary did as well. But she knew this, that the Son of God blesses the unworthy. She knew it because she was one of them, like you and like me. Son of God blesses the unworthy. He doesn't look, he doesn't look for the, the people that have it together and go, oh, I'm going to bless them. His grace and his mercy is surprising in that it is offered to the worst of us, but it's only received by those who are brought to a place of humility because they see their sin in light of God's holiness and in light of God's kindness and his mercy. God gives grace to the humble and we should be humble ourselves. We should we should, in light of all of this, have the mind of Christ, right? We, we should be saved by Christ's humility and then learn from Christ's humility. They're both combined together, saved by his humility or blessed by his humility, and then we learn from it. We're just gonna end with one passage of scripture I want you to keep in mind. We read it today during the Lord's Supper, Philippians chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only people who will ever be saved, who will ever be truly blessed by God are those who understand that they are unworthy. We are unworthy and God lavishes his grace, mercy, and blessing upon us anyway. That's what makes him magnificent. That's why we magnify him. That's why we sing with Mary that the Lord our God is our savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to see that all of this is chiefly seen in Jesus. That your blessing, mercy, and grace is found complete in him and he is offered to all of us. We pray, God, that we would grow in our faith, in our love for you, in our appreciation of all good things that we have from you. We pray, Lord, that your grace in the gospel would lift our spirits far above what any holiday can. Lord, that you would change our hearts and that we would actually experience a transforming kind of joy that allows for pain and sorrow that doesn't deny that or reject that, but allows us with that to never lose sight of our hope that we have in you through Christ our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.